on a daily basis. My name's Paul Boag, Master of the Universe and Supervillain. Welcome my minions. <laughs> and here is my sidekick, Marcus Lillington. <laughs> oh, what a wonderful introduction, Paul. I don't feel I've got the energy today to fight you on your silliness. So oh, you, can, you like... can be Master of the Universe just for today. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> well, I've updated my website yes. and given myself laser beam eyes. Which... So I have decided that I am actually now a supervillain, and my plan is to take over the world, which many people have suspected I've been trying to do for some time. I say yes, nothing changes, Paul. And, Hurrah! and the, the, the truth is now, um, it's now coming to the fore. I'm very sad this week. Are you? I am very, I'm most distressed. I've been at a funeral. Oh, right. It was very moving. I thought you were going to say, so we're making you do real work. No, well, yeah, that too, obviously, is very <laughs> distressing. No, no, unfortunately, my, um, my keyboard of eight years died this week. Oh, right. I was most distressed. I loved that keyboard more. Eight years I had that keyboard. Eight years! Because it was a really cool one. It was a Microsoft one that had this copy, paste, and cut button on it. You just don't whistle over the top of me. It's, it's boring, weird. Paul! It's a keyboard. You ought to see the new one. It's 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 not as good because it doesn't have my copy, paste and cut button, which means I have to get RSI by doing, you know, that control C. C Yeah, like the rest of us do. Yeah. Um, But it's it's all made out. Oh, it's all black and shiny and nice. I'm very, very excited about it. Does it it. plug in? It's like having... No. It'll break then. It's Bluetooth. It won't break. (laughs) Just don't start. Anyway, and also you, when you press the function button down, all of these little lights appear. Ooh. Oh, right, yeah. It's um, a DeNova Edge by Logitech, in case anybody wants to rush out and copy me, mm. which would be understandable because obviously I am somebody you should all admire and respect and copy. I've, so I've used go. the keyboard on my laptop for years. There you go. Yeah, well... You just, uh, just, you can't use a keyboard on that. Can on this it's one? Wrong. It's full size. Oh, well, don't start with that. <laughs> I got a really fancy that. So you walked into that one, didn't you? Which, by the way, is completely shagged. Have you fixed your audio problem? Um, yes, I have. I don't know whether I should admit to this one. <clears throat> Why? How have you fixed it? Um, I turned the speakers on. <laughs> You're kidding. No, I turned them down for some reason. It was one of those things, and I'm like, "Forget this bloody doesn't work." Ah, oh. and then uh, 
But, but I thought you had some problem of getting electrical feedback through your sound card or something. Ah, uh, yeah, no, that's the that's the supposedly better sound card that I bought for it. Just through the normal sound card, it works fine. And uh, okay, and this was like I, I thought I'd got something, I, some dreadful technical error, and well, yes, I just didn't have the sound turned on. <laughs> What a spanner. Well, at times I've done that. If you, work in, if you ever work in a, yes. in a recording studio, it's always just the channel isn't turned on, is why you can't hear it. Mm. So. so there you go. You'd think you'd learnt your lesson by now. I never really? will. Okay, so on this week's show, we have got a load of stuff lined up for you that hopefully will be a pleasure and a delight for you. We've got HTML emails uh, using CSS. Is it possible to create HTML emails using CSS and standards? I don't think it was last time we well, looked. Have we looked on the show before? It's been a question a We've while back. We've discussed it. Yeah, and I think... Well, I can't remember, obviously, because I'm... You're just making yeah. stuff up. I don't think we have done that on the show, but now I'm going to get loads of... I got complaints at a lot of last week's content we'd done before, so, you know, oh, great. <laughs> done that before. Great. <laughs> um, we're also going to review a book called Pro CSS Techniques, mm-hmm. so um, you'll want to hang around for that. Um, we are going to do something which we have done before, but it is a topical thing at the moment, which is we're going to take another look at JavaScript libraries and whether they're a good thing or a bad thing. Now, I know we touched on this before, but it, the debate is raging once again, and so we decided to get Christian Hellman on the show um, in order to get a bit of expert opinion on the whole issue of JavaScript libraries. Okay. We were supposed to be having a section by Patrick um, Haney about what constitutes good design but that hasn't quite happened yet. So hopefully we'll have that for next week's show. I'll do that for you, Paul. And then, we'll, yeah, <laughs> we're not having your opinion on what makes a good design. It's supposed to be an expert <laughs> section. Not a... Oh, I've already had to correct you once this week when you started redesigning my stuff for oh, me. And now you've taken on both my suggestions. So, you know. Actually, I have. <laughs> which is really irritating. Uh, and I okay, told what you, about Paul, you, I'm older than you, so you have to do as you're told. Okay. What are you doing on the show? Um, well, I started writing uh, a, a little short piece uh, called Creating a Web Design Brief. And yes, I know we have been here before, but I think this is probably the most useful information that an, an, ag- an agency person like myself can give to a client. Uh, so um, I'm going to try and go into a bit of detail on that. And I've got to the point that I'm having to do it in two parts. So this week is information to provide to the agency. Next week will be stuff you need to ask an agency. Ah, right. that sounds good. I did think when you suggested it that it was quite a lot to fit into five minutes. Well, it minutes. probably already is too much to put in five minutes anyway, but just don't don't let me waffle, Paul. It never <laughs> happens. I've never heard it, Marcus. <laughs> Talking of waffle, we've now overrun our introduction section, so she'll move immediately on into the news. Okay, so this week on the news, we have... A plethora of lovely little stories lined up for you for your delectation and um, delightation. Delight. <laughs> I don't think word. you meant the second word there, Paul. No, I just, that. it sounded like it rhymed, so <laughs> leave me alone. Okay, the first up is another one by Chris Hellman. He seems to be sneaking a lot into this week's show. Um, he's written a blog post um, where he talks about the fact that currently um, at his job at Yahoo, he is interviewing um, people for developers' positions. Mm-hmm. And you know what it's like. You have to go through thousands of CVs and it all sucks and the rest of it. So he's written a blog post talking about um, how to get a developer's job and giving you some advice um, on really how to go about doing that. 
so I'll put a link to that in the show notes, which you can get to at boagworld.com forward slash podcast and look for show 63 um, and you'll be able to get it there. But basically, just to kind of give you a bit of a summary, um, he gives, you know, really hardcore, intelligent advice like read the frigging job advert. <laughs> I feel like he's venting slightly in this, although he yeah, does well, put it quite... I might be uh, projecting my own emotions onto this. <laughs> but he does say, read the job advert. But then he, he, he also says, but don't kind of completely rely on the job advert in, in a sense that, you know, don't be put off for going for something if you, you may not quite have the experience that they're asking for and you can still go for it anyway and it's worth giving it a try. But, you know, at least kind of do that as an informed decision rather than oh you wanted six years experience and i've only just started he talks about the need to network um, and not rely on recruitment agencies to find you good jobs because they don't really care about whether the job is good or not they just care about placing you so he talks about being involved in the web design community um, and that's where i think things like um you know twitter are great and where meetups are great where you can kind of hear about different jobs that are going around and stuff like that talks about writing good uh, good cv and what he likes in a cv keeping it short relevant um bullshit free that kind of thing um and he also talks about putting in things like achievements and relevant interests but he doesn't really want to know that you've been snorkeling or whatever so um definitely worth checking that out if you're currently thinking about changing job or you're just trying to work, move into the world of web design it's got some really good advice in there and check that out I need to just butt in at this point and say that Headscape is still looking for a developer. Yeah, we are. Um, so I've if you... noticed that we're not up to date on our website, which is fairly crap, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we need to sort that out. We'll do that fairly shortly. Um, we are still looking for an experienced developer. We're looking particularly for somebody at the moment. We've decided that we're going to update from ASP Classic to .NET on our CMS, and we want somebody um, basically an ASP net um, expert really that's what we're after at the moment uh, somebody to mm. sort of fill that place and and move our CMS forward cool so, yeah um, details obviously on bagworld.com uh, yes okay I must remember to put that in okay next up um, this is kind of a quick a real quickie that I've kind of put in because I know the guy that has done this and he you know he hassled me and pressured me do you remember Luke Sanderson um, uh, yeah of course I do yeah, yeah. my name's yeah. Marcus by the way Marcus, yes. Sorry, it's early. Leave me alone. <laughs> I thought I was feeling dopey this morning. Well, you're making me well, feel better, Paul. Okay, that's good. <laughs> so, um, Luke Sanderson has put, done a really, he's a, a really lazy so-and-so. And, he, he, and also he's tight as well. So he doesn't want to spend any money and he doesn't want to make any effort. So when he's doing his design work, he wants to find free imagery, but doesn't want to put any effort into it. So what he's put together um, is using the Google um, co-op search facility that exists now, is he's got it spidering all of the free stock image libraries so that you can search on something in one place and it returns results for every free stock library um, place that he's <laughs> managed to come across. So if that's useful to you, personally, I'm not as tight as he is and uh, obviously willing to put a bit more effort into these things. But if you are lazy and tight, um, then go along to lukesanderson.com forward slash photo underscore search, and you can make use of that. Next up is a um, 
an, a blog post by Aral Balkin, who you know um, I refer to from time to time as my kind of Flash guru, considering I know nothing about Flash and he seems to know everything. <laughs> and he was fortunate enough to be at the Macworld conference um, over in the States. And he, there's a lot, I think there was like a related conference to do with Flash. Why it was at Macworld, I'm not quite sure, or whether I'm just getting myself totally confused. But anyway, he has kind of written a whole blog post on the future of Flash and the things that are going to come up in the uh, in the near future. So he talks about things like Flash on alternative devices, what Flash CS3 looks like and the whole new user interface that it's got. Um, he's got some stats on the take-up on Flash 9 that's very useful if you're doing a lot of Flash work. Um, now, as you know, I know nothing about Flash, but this is useful to those of you that do. So oh. being the kind of altruistic person that I am, I have included it in the show. I've Sorry, you've got a story. Me? Yes, Go I on do. Then. Um, we have a, cu- a client currently that we're developing, doing some Flash work for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she basically kept saying to me, I can't see I can't see what you're showing me here. Because we, we had some, some flat designs as well. And then a kind of mock-up of uh, a little bit of animation. Uh, and we basically boiled it down to the fact that, that uh, her network Nazis won't allow her to download the Flash plugin. So oh, that's quite common. It's still the case. So mm. it's, it's very, very frustrating. Yeah. So anyway, you can check out that article at Aral Balkin, A-R-A-L, A-R-A-L, yes, mm-hmm. B-A-L-K-A-N dot com forward slash 830. Now, we couldn't possibly do this new segment, even though it's now overrunning with our short format. (laughs) Hey, everybody's complained that everything was running too quickly last week and they couldn't keep up. So we're just going slow today. (laughs) Um, So we couldn't do this new segment without mentioning the iPhone, could we? Because that would be wrong. Marcus, have you seen it? it? I've seen it, but what what does it do that's different? Oh, sex on a stick, mate. (sighs) No, it's not. Oh, it is. It's very right, what does it do? Tell me then. Okay, so... Is it like a Blackberry? Yeah, but no. It's <laughs> yes in the sense that it's a kind of smartphone, so you can do your emails on it. You right. can do... Um, you've got a web browser on it. It's got internet connectivity via Wi-Fi and, um, you know, GRPS or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and it's got all of that kind of good stuff. Um, but it's the, uh, as normal, it's the interface. It's just really, really nice. Um, just, I, I can't, can't begin to cover everything it is. We just don't have time. But what I did want to mention with it is its browser. So it's got Safari on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it, it's the best, well, it is simply the best, um, web browser that's on a mobile device. So it doesn't kind of, doesn't, you know, strip stuff out or reformat it or anything like that. It literally just displays the page. You know, it's absolutely tiny, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it displays a whole page formatted as it would be on a desktop. Um, and then you can zoom in and out of it in all kinds of really clever ways using kind of finger motions on the touch screen and stuff like that. And it's caused quite a lot of excitement, um, unsurprisingly, in the web design community. Um, and there are a lot of people saying that it's going to do some incredible stuff. For example, um, Brian Fling, who is um, a guy that is well known for kind of mobile web and that kind of stuff, is saying it's possible that the division between the mobile web and the desktop web could disappear much sooner than I ever expected. He talks about it being the end of WAP devices and an explosion of mobile content. 
Mm. Um, so there's a lot of excitement about this new browser, thinking that it's really going to change things. Because even if, because um, uh, the iPhone is very expensive, um, so even if that doesn't sell particularly well and doesn't become like a mainstream browser, it's going to push all the other phone vendors to kind of innovate and to, to do similar things. Um, but not everybody agrees. And I have to say, I'm not sure I actually agree with Brian Fling when he says that it's going to be this huge revolutionary thing. Because Cameron Mole raises some interesting points that I think are very valid. Number one is that um, if you're downloading the entire website as is, that's great if you've got a Wi-Fi connection. But if you're out and about, um, even with you know all kinds of compression to reduce images and all the rest of it, the data costs are going to be enormous. This is just instantly the problem with mobile phone um, yeah. browsing. Oh, yeah. It's just too expensive. Yeah, <laughs> Fine, like you say, fine if you're at home, but then you may as well have your laptop out or if you're in a, ca- a cafe that's got wi-fi you may as well have your laptop out so yeah. it just instantly scuppers it all for me but then they've got to get you know they've got to realize that they've, they've got to bring the cost down all the phone providers um and then it could explode and then they'll make even yeah. more money so exactly so i mean that's a that's a big problem the other one is um one of context that you don't necessarily want to be accessing entire websites when you're out and about. You want, you know, there is certain information that's useful on your website. Nobody, for example, wants to go um, to Biag World or let's say the Headscape website, to the Headscape website and look through our portfolio of design work on a mobile phone. It's you're just not going to see it. It's not going to look right. Mm. But you might be interested in just the news elements, yeah. you know, of, of, on your mobile. So there's a context here. So there's still going to be a need to develop mobile-specific websites, really, rather than just saying, oh, well, now we can pretty much ignore the mobile web because our, you know, our normal website will be fine. So I don't think... I don't think that's fair. And then obviously there's the other issue of it's very expensive and it's only going to reach high-end users at the moment. Mm. So anyway, that's that's our news. Let's move on to our agony uh, <laughs> <ugly> ankle <laughs> section <laughs> of the show, otherwise known as the agony uncle. Right, so this week's agony uncle question is relating to HTML emails and whether it's possible to build them with web standards. And our question comes from Mark. Marcus, will you read the question, please? (laughs) This is a quiz show, isn't it? It is. (laughs) Right, here we go. I am responsible for creating HTML email promotions and newsletters that we send out frequently. And I loathe the fact that I cannot seem to use CSS on these things unless the recipient opens them in a browser. I have asked around and no one seems to have a good answer. You just can't. Or email clients don't support CSS are the best I get. Hardly helpful, though. And so I, so I ask of you, Master Paul, why? Uh, Master Paul, master of the universe. See, yes. I am. Um, very topical. Very topical at the moment because um, Microsoft Outlook um, have, or it has been discovered that Microsoft Outlook 2007 uses the Word engine to render its HTML instead of IE7, which is a bit disturbing, really, because Word... Um, Oh, 2007 has got about as much standard support as mm. a blamange. So there we go. Yeah. So yes, very topical at the moment, and obviously it uh, there are big issues involved in that. I find that really weird that Outlook have chosen to do that, and why they haven't used the IE7 rendering engine. Who knows? Maybe security concerns. But then, of course, they have sold IE7 as being security proof. 
So who knows? But the, uh, they've used Word um, as the sort of creation tool as the editor in Outlook for years now. Yeah. So yeah, it's but it's it's with... the it's the rendering of the of the HTML emails that come in. Previously, it was pretty much an IE six engine, I think. Yeah. But now it's this word engine, and it's caused all kinds of hassle and problems. And Blair, not good. Mm. So, in answer to your question, you just can't, which is what you said. Email is not a good don't answer. support CSS. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. No, it is possible. It is possible to produce emails with standards, but it is very difficult. Um, there is actually an article on the List Apart website um, at listapart.com forward slash articles forward slash CSS email, um, which does talk about how it is possible. And actually, it was written by the guy that ra- runs Campaign Monitor, which is a very good for sending out um, HTML newsletters and stuff like that. So you might also want to check out his blog where he continues to talk about this and expand his thoughts somewhat on it. Um, I'll put the link in the show note because it's far too long to read here. Mm. Um, but I have to say, even though it's possible, I'm not sure it's actually worth the effort because the support um, for desktop clients is incredibly poor, um, let alone the support for web-based clients. You'd think web-based clients would be better, but they're not. But let's look at desktop clients first. You know, um, looking at, for example, Outlook, which is your biggest um, your biggest uh, email client out there. Um, if you look at Outlook 2007, it's got no support for background images, no support for forms, no support for Flash or other plugins, no support for CSS floats, no support for replacing bullets with images in unordered lists, no support for CSS positioning, no support for animated GIFs. <gasps> and that's one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah. So all in all, it is a bit tricky to say the least so you'd think the web-based email would be better but actually it causes all kinds of problems in its own right because web-based email clients like gmail tend to override css settings with its own styling so you have all kinds of workarounds to do there as well so i guess that at the end of the day i'd say nah it's not worth it if you're gonna do it use table-based design um, and then provide a, a text-only alternative as well. Um, it's quite possible these days to send something out that's basically, uh, you know, if the email client recognizes HTML, it does HTML. If not, it reverts to plain text. Um, and I think that's probably the most accessible and easy approach to produce in the real world. So, you definitely yeah. need to produce text-only version because, I mean, half of our clients, particularly the, the public sector ones, still use things like Lotus Notes where they can't read HTML at all. Yeah, so, I just, I, does Lotus Notes not support HTML at all? Well, it probably does now, but I know that I get if I send out um, HTML newsletters to, I don't know, thirty percent of our clients, I will get um, text-only versions back. Oh, my phone's going. You bad boy! Put it in the other room. I know. Well, it was. I just haven't. All right, leave me alone. It'll stop ringing in a minute. There we go. See, it stopped. That's professionalism for you. Yeah. And with that, let's move on to ask the expert and talk to a real professional. So we've got Chris Hyman in, in mm. order to um, discuss this whole issue of JavaScript libraries. So, as I said, it's, it's raging again. The raging discussions and debates and arguments over something that really doesn't matter. It fills anyway. every minute of my life. Yes, I'm sure you're constantly worried about whether you should be using JavaScript libraries or not. Yep, but, I'm but some about of us, it right now. Right, yeah, I imagine. 
So, but some of us do fret about it, and we do have to consider these things. And uh, there are two two sides to this argument about whether or not um, JavaScript libraries are a good thing or a bad thing, friend or foe. And uh, there's quite a nice little post um, that kind of sums up the different sides of the arguments by PPK. Nobody pronounces his real name because it's unpronounceable. So we all call him PPK. And he's written a nice uh, little blog post that kind of um, refers to the different people that are debating at the moment and what they're saying and that kind of stuff. So if you if you want kind of both sides of the argument, then check out the show notes and I'll link to it there. But we thought we'd get Chris um, Hellman onto the show and get him to um, answer the question of whether JavaScript is a friend or a foe. It's a question that keeps cropping up. Is a JavaScript library a friend or a foe? It could be both. It could be a friend if it helps you. It could be a friend you might not be able to rely on or that your friendship turns sour after a while. It could be a foe because it actually could give you the false hope that you develop something without having to understand anything about it. And after half year's time, you realize actually it doesn't scale or it's hard to maintain. The main job of a library is actually to make sure that uh, browser inconsistencies and also problems of the language itself are not your problem any longer, but are actually done for you by the library. And if it doesn't do that reliably, like if you still find problems and browsers don't work and the library actually doesn't throw any errors probably either, then you have a problem. Then you actually relied on something that doesn't work for you. If you have a 10-line JavaScript that's absolutely amazing where you should have written 50 lines in normal JavaScript, but you have to explain to another developer for half an hour how to use it, then it's not actually a helper for you either. In essence, you have to look for a library that is pragmatic or actually does the job that you actually want to do at that time. Or you have to have a development team where all of the guys have the same time to actually look into the library and all of them know how to use it. Or you make it mandatory to actually have that knowledge to use it. It's far too easy to actually use a library and not understand what's going on and build an inaccessible and actually quite resource-hungry product with it. When you write your JavaScript and you know what you're doing, then you normally can optimize a lot easier. That said, uh, libraries are actually very helpful, and it's uh, it's just a matter of how you use them. It's a classic case of, like, you understand what you do with them and what are the implications of it, then you can do something great. But if you just rely on the library itself to do everything for you, then you have the same problems that you have relying on a what you see is what you get editor to create semantic markup for you. I have to say, personally, I don't use JavaScript libraries. I like to know what's going on too much and kind of root around and kind of understand what I'm doing. Because inevitably, you get some awkward client that comes along and asks for something that the JavaScript library doesn't do or you don't know how to do in the JavaScript library. So uh, that's kind of where I come down on the argument. But um, it's good to hear somebody who is much more of an expert on the area than listening to me make up stuff. So I think that about sums up the Ask an Expert section. And let's now move on to the review section. So obviously I'm not going to be able to do the review every week in the sense that I can't read every book that's out there. Um, for a start, it would cost me too much money to buy all those books. <laughs> and I certainly can't buy every piece of software out there. And obviously, I would never legally download anything. So, um, of course not. so I have to rely to some degree on what other people say about books and things like that. For example, there is a book that's just come out called Pro CSS Techniques, which um, is authored by three guys, um, Jeff Croft, who I have never met, 
and Ian Lloyd and Dan Rubin, who I have um, had dealings with in the past. Ian Lloyd is the guy that um, wrote um, kind of an HTML for beginners book that took you through the process of um, building a website from scratch. I can't remember the exact title of the book because it was the longest title ever. But it was the one that my my wife used in order to learn how to build websites. So there you go. So um, these three guys have got together and they've written a book called Pro CSS Techniques, which has been kindly reviewed by Jonathan Snook over his blog. And I will put a link to it in the show notes. You can go and check that out. And um, he's got some really good things to say about this book. So I thought I would share them with you. And it's a really balanced one. So he's got some negative stuff as well. And hopefully it will help you make a decision about whether this book is worth checking out for you. He says that the book contains very practical approaches to the issues and considerations we run into every day. He likes the way the book is structured and says that it works as a um, a handy, quick reference, um, especially as it's got chapters dedicated to things like layout, typography, tables, forms, lists, that kind of stuff. So it's possible to read this book from cover to cover, but it's also possible to use it as a reference manual, which is pretty important um, Mm -hmm. because, let's face it, very few of us read these books from cover to cover. Um, he's got, a, um, but he has got a few problems with the books that he's not entirely convinced about. For example, he says that he could do with um, it could do with some more time being spent on the has layout um, bug in IE. I don't know whether it's strictly speaking a bug, but let's call it a bug anyway. Um, and also some more um, time spent on print style sheets. If you haven't come across the has layout bug in Internet Explorer. Go and read up on it. Um, It is probably, especially now Internet Explorer 7 has come out and a lot of the issues have been dealt with. Chances are, if you're having a problem with Internet Explorer 7, it's the has layout bug that is causing it. And it's a a weird thing about the way that Internet Explorer chooses to render pages um, and the way that it kind of works out that rendering. I won't try and explain it all here. We don't really have the time or really the inclination (laughs) to do so. Um, So, yeah, he's saying a bit more time could have been spent on that and on print style sheets. But he does say that overall this book was an enjoyable read and that it was a good nuts and bolts type of book. They cover the practical day to day issues that we run into in a way uh, and ways to solve them. If you are an intermediate or pro level developer, pro CSS techniques would give you uh, would be a practical addition to your bookshelf. So all in all, a pretty positive review. And mm. certainly I, I had a little poke around to see if Jonathan Snook was being paid, you know, by these guys or anything to see what <laughs> other people said. Um, and generally speaking, the, the um, response was very positive to the book and most of the comments were very good. So you might want to check that one out if you're looking for a book to take you to that next level with CSS techniques. So there you go. Okay, client corner time. Note how I've been demoted to last position now. Well, we shoved things around because people complained it was weird finishing off on the Ask an Expert section. Uh, right, okay. Maybe we Think of start it. with the introduction. Often, often mine, it's, fair, it's the prime position to be last, isn't it? You reckon? The one that everybody has been waiting for. Or I've remember. put it at the end to encourage them to go through the entire show. Okay, people want to hear my, my dulcet tones. Well, whenever you start doing this section... When you did it last week and I was listening to it back, it sounds scaringly like Jack and Ori. Yeah, sit down, children. Let, let me read you a story. And I'll read you a story. I feel like I should have some cocoa. <laughs> anyway, anyway as I explained earlier, I figured that uh, probably the most useful thing 
well, the most useful, one of the most useful things um, that we can give to clients is uh, to help them with information that they should pro provide in a in a brief to us, and also the kind of questions that they should ask when they're um, trying to find out who the good agencies are. Um, I started writing this as I said earlier, and got so much information on the page that I thought there's no way this is going to fit into five minutes. So I part one today is about the kind of thing that we need to hear from you, the information that um, makes us say, oh, that's a good brief, uh, that kind of thing. So have we off, ever said that? Oh, yeah. Yes, I, I, I will always compliment a client if they've written a good brief. Okay. I Actually, them. I can think of a few now. Now you come to say to it. But first off, ask yourself, what do I want? Write it down. Money. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. Well, yeah, we will want money. Yes. Um, peace, love, happiness, things like that. No, yeah, you relating... go for peace and love, and I go for money. <laughs> now, what what kind of thing does that reflect on me now? <laughs> I don't know, Paul. You you, t you tell tell everyone what that says. It says that I'm a materialistic bastard. <laughs> Carry you're on. Ga you're a gadget boy. I am. Yes. I've lost. Let's get on with now. it. Anyway, yeah. last week I, the question was to ask yourself, do I even need a website or do I need to update my website? If the answer to that is yes, now then you put a, and you're not going to do it yourself, it's time to start talking to potential agencies to do it for you. So ask yourself what you want, literally, because um, this is potentially the introduction to your brief when you summarise what the project is, what you're aiming to achieve and why. And if anything, in when you've written that down, you read it back to yourself and you think, if, if anything in, in there is a bit woolly, um, for example, if the objectives of the new project are not clear, then go back to the drawing board and write it again. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A, a good question to maybe ask yourself is, could I explain what I want to a layman? Someone who knows nothing about my company, about web design. If the answer to that is yes, then the chances are... I'll be complimenting you on what a good brief you've just written because it's clear. That's what we want. We want to know exactly what you're after. I mean, it might be we want this or we might want this. That's but that's still clear. But I'm, I, I was just trying to think of a um, an example of wooliness um, and couldn't think of anything this morning. But it's we often get a, a, well. There's two two major criticisms that we have. One is that oh, we'd like a new website and it's got to look great. And that's about it. And you get three three pages of it's that's gonna extremely look woolly. <laughs> um, or you get forty seven pages of you know fifteen hundred requirements, um, and it's just this huge shopping list. Um, I'll come on to shopping list in a minute. Uh, but so clarity that's what we're after, and and it's what you should be after because then you'll get a much better response from the agencies. So uh, going into a bit more detail, try splitting sp splitting the the brief into kind of useful headings areas like look and feel like functionality and maybe taking those two as examples um if you're talking about look and feel because nearly always that's a part of any web design project talk about your brand use descriptive words that the design needs to reflect yeah okay so if if um professionalism i don't know um um, seriousness, gravity, that kind of thing needs to is part of your brand. Then the design needs to reflect that, and the design agency needs to know it. Talk about your audience, who this website is for. Talk about any constraints that there are on the on the design, and anything that worked on your existing site um, and what didn't. Really important one is uh, let people know sites that you like and why you like them. Oh, um, yes. Sorry. 
Oh, yes, I'm oh, agreeing with you. Absolutely. That's a big one for me. From a design point of view, I love to know what, you know, what um, inspires other people because it kind of gives you an idea of where they're thinking and where they're going. Absolutely. Um, and finally, on this point about look and feel, I'd say don't ask for any initial concepts. Um, and it sounds like we're just trying to get out of doing any work. But what you'll get is a beauty contest. I'm sure we talked about this before. Oh, uh, yes. Um, so I won't go into it in too much detail, but if you ask for a load of designs up front, then basically what you might require is a very, very functional, plain, clear, clean design, and you get a lot of very pretty designs because uh, the agencies are all trying to kind of out-wow you. So it's, a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's not something that uh, will be that useful, we think, uh, and just look at the work that people have done, the real work that these particular agencies have done in the past and judge them on that. Um, looking at functionality, be realistic, be sensible. If you want a site that talks directly to your obscure stock system and you want it delivered in a fortnight, um, then that won't happen. Um, you know, you, we get a lot of briefs that come through, and there seem to be more and more briefs that are like this, that we get these endless lists of fun requirements and functionality that... When you actually get down to it, the client says, well, it might be quite nice if we had that. And they don't really need it. They don't really want it. So I guess, particularly if you're looking at a very sort of functional, rich um, uh, brief, rank them. Put, the, put, put them into, we really need this lot. You know, boom, 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 I don't know, say eight, eight bullet points. This would be nice, and this would be maybe phase three or four in the future. And then we know what, you know, what, what's important to you. We can also do the same when we're pricing up this work, and we can... You know, put the core items into the main, uh, into the main pricing sheet, and then put some optional stuff later on. <coughs> Excuse me. If you want a CMS, most people want a CMS these days. Ask yourself a few questions. Um, do you need to have control over the structure of the site? I.e., do you need to be able to add new, totally new pages, or are we looking at a kind of blogging type thing, or where you just need to add new case studies every month or so? Mm. Um, do you need workflow? Have you got a load of people out there that will be providing new content for these new pages? Does that content need to be signed off by an editor before it goes live? Because this basically it all adds the complexity of the CMS that needs to be delivered and therefore makes it more expensive. Um, and I guess the, the final thing that came to mind when I was talking about CMS is do you have any technical preferences? <laughs> I, do you hate Microsoft and no Microsoft whatsoever? And if, if that is the case, ask yourself why you're, why you're saying that couple of final things i'm probably way over time here no oh, no it's okay <laughs> um, take your time i wouldn't right. want to Thanks, Paul. there are people on the forum i posted on the forum the order that things are happening and uh a guy called folders one two three which i'm guessing isn't his real name it might be is written sorry it might be his real name you never know well yeah stranger <laughs> things happened um uh, Poor child. Uh, so I posted the order. We were doing things in the show just to give people an idea of what was coming up. And they're complaining that you don't get enough time and that you've been shunted to the end. Well, so I, I dare not interrupt about that, you. Didn't I? Well, he, the, he is as well. So I dare not interrupt you. I better not be at the end next week. Okay. I'll cry. Well, okay. I won't. I'll just moan a lot. A couple of final things. Provide detailed timescales. When do you want this proposal returned? Is realistic yeah. time scale. Absolutely. Please. Is electronic okay? Because you know, we often get the we need we need uh, six printed copies delivered by nine thirty a.m. 
on Sunday the 1st of December or whatever. Um, which is okay, because a lot of people do need uh, printed versions. But if you don't need a printed copy, then obviously that gives us a whole day extra to produce this proposal. Mm. Uh, because we don't have to send it via special deliver or anything like that. Um, if you don't want 55 pages in your proposal, if you only want five, let us know. Like you'll never get a five-page proposal from me. Uh, <laughs> An impossibility. Um, or maybe in four-point type. Um, will you be interviewing? And if so, is this date set in stone? Because we often deal with a lot of um, higher education um, uh, institutions, and it takes them six months to arrange a meeting of ten people. So make sure that you... If they And they... So this is where, where this idea has come from. They usually will tell you on whatever date, the 23rd of September, we will be interviewing. So make sure that date is set in stone in your mind because if you get shortlisted, they will expect you there. And I've had mm -hmm. one case of, of I, when I didn't do this and I had a, fortunately I had a call the afternoon before saying, uh, we'll see you at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And it was like, uh, uh, yes, okay. And then mad panic presentation creation time. Um, but... That's what well, we do need to know. That allow for contract negotiations. A lot of uh, a lot of these uh, timescales in in briefs say, okay, we we will be selecting who's who's working um, on you know we'll be selecting the agency who's won the work on the twenty seventh of January and work will start on the twenty eighth. No, it won't. <laughs> It'll start at least two weeks later and sometimes longer, especially if you're dealing with. Uh, big corporate clients who have legal departments, they have a habit of uh, stretching these things out. So unless you expect the agency to work at risk, then don't expect the, uh, um, the, the job to start straight away. Finally, the, the most important date of all, is there an absolute set in stone date that the site needs to be live? Hmm. If so, be honest with yourself about expectations. If that's within one month um, and we're talking about a really big project here, chances are it isn't going to happen. So you've got to sit down and talk to the agency about what you can do by that date. Can we get something up there, something new, something that we can show to this this exhibition or whatever? Um, I suppose yeah, I'm, I'm saying this all the way through. Be clear and be realistic. Um, final, final point. If you can, let us know your budget or at least an, an approximation of it. If you really don't know, and often you don't because it's a, a new thing and you know, you've got, you've got no nothing to compare it to, but then if that is the case, be very very clear about what you're looking for, uh, and don't be surprised if you get a a list of core items and a list of optional items back from from the agency because they'll say, well, even though you've said you want this, you could have this as well, or you could make it better by doing this. Uh, this is why it's so useful for us to have a budget up front um, because then we know we can we can fit our solution to that budget. Uh, that's about it for this week. Next week cool. I'll start um, going into the kind of things that you can ask ask agencies to see if they really know their stuff. Sounds good. You are massively over time and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> and in fact, I don't think we've got time for your end of show joke Yes, today. we have. Always got those. Well, go on then. <laughs> I'm still on my list of Tommy Cooper jokes, which I like very much. <laughs> Um, no, this is a slightly. Are they real Tommy Cooper? No, no, no. Or no. are they Tommy, Tommy Cooper's Cooper style? style. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, this one I can't imagine Tommy Cooper saying this one. This is a slight. I'm starting off with a slightly scientificy kind of nerdy version of a Tommy Cooper. Do you think Cooper. anybody other uh, other than English people know who Tommy Cooper is? I don't know actually. I would think that's some interesting. Do. 
If you live outside of the UK and you know who Tommy Cooper is, email us at paul at com. Carry on. Comic genius. Anyway, okay. He was. Two hydrogen atoms walk into a bar. One says, I've lost my electron. The other says, are you sure? The first replies, yes, I'm positive. <laughs> no, Tommy Cooper wouldn't have told he wouldn't that. Have told. Anyway, this is far too high to normal stuff. Right. <laughs> two aerials meet on a roof, fall in love and get married. The ceremony wasn't much, but the reception was brilliant. That's terrible. It's awful, isn't it? Well, one more. Yes. A, man walks in, a man walks into a bar with a slab of tarmac under his arm and says, a beer, please, and one for the road. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and more comedy genius next week from Marcus Lillington. Oh, I love them. You can oh, tell the style you, of joke that I really like. There you go. That's it. Yes. Thank you so much to all of you that have taken the time to write in and um, give us your thoughts about the new format. I apologise for the audio problems last week. Hopefully we won't have any when we come to edit this time round. We would love to hear your um, questions for the Agony Uncle section. We've already received quite a few, which is good. Um, So you will probably have to wait your turn unless it is exceptionally good or, and uh, this is always the or, if you send it in audio format because you get to jump the queue, because I like audio questions. Um, Also, don't forget, you can send in suggestions for the Ask the Expert section, what you would ask and who you would ask it for, and we will try and make it happen. And um, send your client uh, corner suggestions to marcus at boagworld.com. But don't forget, and most importantly of all, you still have time to sign up for the Boag World Meetup, which is happening up in London. I will put a link in the show notes to that. We would love to see you there. Um, It would be great if you could come along. Um, So make sure that you sign up and we will speak to you again next week. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.